Good morning. My name uh, is Ross Amato. I'm part of the pastoral team here, and uh, I'm blessed to share from the Word of God this morning, um, and I'm blessed to help give Nathan a little bit of well-deserved reprieve. Um, but we're going we're gonna to take a little break from Exodus for the next couple weeks, and we're going to devote some time to focus on the theme of Thanksgiving. Um, today we're going to be spending the majority of our time in James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. Um, so if you want to kind of bookmark that verse, we'll be in and out of that one. Uh, but would you please join me in prayer? Father God, Lord, we thank you for this morning, Lord. Just the joy that we have when we come and gather as your people, Lord. The, the thanksgiving that we can give you because we are your children and we gather praise you, Lord, and all the truths that we can hope and trust in, Lord, that, that you provide us. Lord, I pray that as we go to your word, you would give us wisdom and discernment, Lord, that we would take some time and evaluate our relationship with you, Lord, who we are because of what you've done. Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts, that... Um, that as this, uh, this topic can be difficult, Lord, I pray that you would just soften our hearts. Lord, let us, let us see the things in ourselves that uh, we may or may not be allowing you to, to work on and to remove, Lord. And I, I ask this for myself as well. Lord, we, we give you all glory and praise as we go to your word this morning. And we thank you for your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. So as we approach the Thanksgiving holiday, uh, we're obviously often reminded of all that we're thankful for. Uh, we may keep one of those gratitude journals that gets a couple extra additions in November, or we may have one of those thankful trees that we put up on the wall that we write on the leaves and post it on the tree, or I'm sure most of us will go around the table at Thanksgiving dinner and list off the things that we are we are thankful for. Um, and those are all good things, but it's pretty easy, right? To be thankful for the good things. What about difficult things to be thankful for? What about our attitude towards trials? Nathan touched on this a little bit last week when he discussed four responses to trials. He talked about Joseph's faith and Pharaoh's blindness and Israel's fear and Moses' courage. And as followers of Christ, God's desired response from us is very clear, and we find it throughout Scripture. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of Christ. I'm sorry, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Paul is saying, give thanks in all circumstances, in everything, in connection with everything that occurs. No matter what happens, no matter what the circumstances, no matter the difficulty, we as believers are charged with being joy-filled and thankful to God. How is it possible to obey God and truly give thanks in all circumstances? Each and every circumstance in our lives, not just when we're inconvenienced or things don't go the way that we've hoped, time and time again in God's word, we are called to find joy and to give thanks even in our suffering, when the world around us seems to be falling apart? Is our Heavenly Father expecting and Paul encouraging us to actually rejoice and give thanks when we experience life's greatest disappointments and tragedies? 
And it's important that I point out here that Paul is not necessarily saying that we are to be thankful for these things, but rather maintain an attitude of thanks and joy in the midst of them while we're enduring the trials. So when our health declines or when the doctor says that the cancer is back, when we lose a child or a loved one, when a family member renounces their faith or is unsaved, when we lose our job, when a spouse decides to seek a divorce, or maybe we have to raise our children as a single parent. And as we learned in Exodus last week, when our back is against the sea and Pharaoh's army is bearing down, we are to trust and have courage and not be blinded by the circumstances or adopt an attitude of fear. Many of you are going through difficult times right now, incredibly difficult things, and I get it. This can be an impossible task, counting it all joy, even in the midst of the trials. This is something that we all struggle with. And in our strength or in our flesh, it is impossible. But as we will see this morning, by placing our faith in God's promises, by allowing the Spirit to work in us, and by knowing that Christ is carrying us through, we can have an attitude of joy and thanksgiving, even within the trials. We can be encouraged that throughout Scripture, we are promised that these trials are opportunities for the believer, our faith to be tested. And this testing is the primary method in which God makes his children more and more like Christ. So how can we as believers abide in this difficult command? How can we have an attitude of thanks in the midst of trials? And I think James speaks to this question as he addresses and encourages the persecuted church. Please uh, open your Bibles to James chapter 1, verse 2. James says to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your face, faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So what are we as believers to do when we encounter various trials? James utilizes three imperatives here. He, he issues three commands for navigating trials in a way that glorifies God and grows us in Christ-likeness. He calls us, one, to count, to have a joyful attitude. He calls us, two, to know to have an understanding mind. And he calls us three to let, to have a surrendered will, to count, to know, and to let. So back to the text, James says to count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds. We are to count or to consider, to evaluate to esteem trials. Not simply be somewhat joyful, but to look at them with all joy. We're not called to grit our teeth, to hunker down, to grin and bear it, to just, you know, get through it. God is commanding us to be joyful. We are to have an attitude of thanksgiving towards trials. And when we look at the context of this word, count, he's issuing a command. He's using an imperative because he knows that joy is not the natural response 
to difficult circumstances. In fact, tests of faith are feared by most Christians, and instinctively we shrink from them. They're often painful and tragic, and they're accompanied with an element of danger and a risk of failure. James issues a reminder of encouragement that even in trials, especially in trials, believers are to remember, to rest in, and to trust in the promises of the Lord, and to look at these situations as an opportunity for growth. Do we do that? Do we look at trials as opportunities? Do we look at trials as blessings? Or do we look at trials as gifts? Take parenting, for example. When was the last time that we counted our children's disobedience as an opportunity? as a blessing to come alongside them and point them towards Christ to help them mature in Christ? Or do we typically look at it as an inconvenience, as something to be dealt with, a disturbance to our daily schedule? And for those of you who don't know me, I have seven children at home. I have eight children seven children are in in our home and you should see my house on some Sunday morning. The opportunities for this abound. I struggle with this, obviously. Where are your shoes? That's not the shirt I ironed for you. Stop touching your brother. You had your shoes on. Where are they now? And even following Mr. Owen's advice to prepare Saturday evening, there will always be a trial in getting our family to church. So we should look at these as opportunities. And I am guilty of of not always doing that. Do we view as trials as opportunities? Do we view them in this way? Do we look at trials as beneficial and ultimately for our good? Please turn with me to Romans 8.28. We probably have this memorized and it's actually often a verse that can easily be taken out of context. It's not a all-purpose salve for every time we go through troubles, but it's incredibly valuable. And I want to ask if we really trust what Paul tells us here. When we encounter trials, do we count them as an opportunity for growth? If not, it's impossible for us to have a joyous response. Paul says in Romans 8, 28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now we may know know this verse. We may have it memorized. We may even have it hanging on our refrigerator. But do we know it? We have to know that it is true in order to have the proper response. Do we trust that in those difficult moments, God intends good? Do we allow the spirit to work in us to allow us to truly believe that? And this verse should bring us comfort because we know the character of God. And when we doubt him, when we doubt that what he's putting us through is for our good, which in our sinful flesh we will, we need to go back to the truth. God is good. God is faithful. God is long-suffering. God is merciful. He is walking with us, and he is allowing us to go through something that he knows 
we will come out on the other side better if we trust him. We need to remember that when we talk about good, we're talking about God's definition of good. Look at Joseph. Look at Paul and the other apostles. Look at the martyrs throughout history. Every circumstance in their lives was sovereignly orchestrated to bring glory to God and for their ultimate good. And we know that God doesn't play favorites. And if he worked in the lives of these men, if this truth was a truth for these men, then why would it be any different for us? We also need to remember, in light of that verse, that God doesn't just want to make us happy. He wants us to be happy, but he just... He wants to make us holy. And in that lifelong sanctification process, we will experience progress, but we will not experience perfection until we are glorified. Allowing us to go through these trials and walking it with us is the way that he accomplishes this. We should find great comfort knowing that Christ is is going to meet us in the suffering. He is the good shepherd. He is our wonderful counselor. He is our great high priest. And we are yoked with Christ. And as he says in Matthew, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We are yoked not only to the creator of the universe, but to the one who came to this earth to experience everything that we might go through. Everything that we might go through. He can fully sympathize with what we are going through and we can find our ultimate rest in him. And not only that, but he gives us the Holy Spirit as our comforter. And he gives us others around us for encouragement. And that is why we can have joy in the midst of our suffering. So James says we are to evaluate, to count it all joy. What exactly does he mean by the word joy? Joy for the believer is not the same as earthly happiness. Joy, or chara, is a Greek noun which describes a feeling of inner gladness, of delight, of rejoicing. Joy in the New Testament is virtually always used to signify a feeling of happiness, a glorious and triumphant feeling. It's a state that is based on spiritual realities and it is not dependent on our outward circumstances. Worldly joy is inconsistent and fleeting and it is not something that can be grasped or held on to. Spiritual joy, however, produces an inner gladness and a deep-seated pleasure. It is a depth of assurance and a confidence that ignites a cheerful heart. And it is a cheerful heart that can lead to cheerful behavior. And interestingly, the word joy, which, as I mentioned, is the root word chara, is present in the word charis, which is grace where we get the word charity. And eucharisteo, which also has chara in it, means thanksgiving. So this idea of grace and joy and thanksgiving is interconnected and it permeates the New Testament. So when we face the trials of life, we must evaluate them or count them in light of what God is doing for us. And this is only possible when we live for the things that matter most. Our values determine our valuations. If we value comfort more than character, then trials will obviously upset us. We'll have the wrong response. 
If we focus on and live only for the present and our satisfaction, instead of making us better, trials are going to make us bitter. We are commanded to count it all joy. And because this is a commandment from God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, it is a command that is within our ability to follow. There is another place where we see this same word, this idea of charas, of pure joy despite the circumstances. And if you would, please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Christ is our example and he counted it all joy. Even an agonizing death on the cross He endured the most evil, the most unjust event in history, bearing the wrath for our sins and being separated from the Father for the first time in eternity because of the joy that was set before him. Jesus' eyes were focused on his future joy, not on the cross not on the pain or the wrath that was poured out on him, but on the promised joy that would result from it. And because Christ is our example, in the midst of our trials, we too can focus on our future joy. For those who are in Christ, not only have we been redeemed and forgiven our sins, past, present, and future, Not only are we spared from spending eternity in hell, separated from God, but we, like the Israelites, redeemed out of slavery, we've been given the wealth of Egypt. We have been given Christ's righteousness. We are sons and daughters of the King. We are co-heirs with Christ. We have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And Jesus right now is seated and the work is finished. In light of all of this, how can we not be marked by a joyful attitude and thanksgiving? Did you also catch in Hebrews 12 that in order to run the race set before us, We must have endurance. And we can be encouraged that one of the ways that God supplies this endurance is through trials. So we are are to count it all joy. When? It's important to note that James also very appropriately uses the word when we encounter trials, not if. He emphasizes the fact that difficult times for believers, they're not just possible, they're inevitable. Some trials come simply because we're human. Sickness, accidents, disappointments, sometimes even seeming tragedies. But other trials come because we are a Christian. We need to remember that while James is speaking to us, he's speaking to the church at large. His original audience was those who were scattered. 
those in the diaspora, the persecuted church who had been dispersed from Jerusalem and pressed out to the outer edges of the Roman Empire. Persecution and trials were an immediate and frequent reality for them. And as believers and followers of Christ, we are promised trials will come. Jesus said in John 16, I have said to you these things. Take, I'm sorry, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Because remember, our hope lies in Christ, who, as I just mentioned, is seated at the Father's right hand. He has overcome, and because the work is finished, we can have peace and joy. So when you meet or encounter these trials, and I I like the Greek word here for meet because it literally means falling into. This word carries the idea that falling typically happens unexpectedly, and one is suddenly encompassed and surrounded by it. The trials that we encounter are often unexpected, and they're often inconvenient, which is why our natural knee-jerk reaction or response can be one that doesn't include joy at all. To be honest, our our reaction can often be quite the opposite of joy. We grumble, we complain, we curse, we sin, we doubt the promises of God, we doubt his goodness, we doubt his sovereignty, and we even get to the point where we doubt his love for us. And all of this robs us of the joy that he is allowing us and calling us to experience. So this command to give thanks in everything, to count it all joy, when we experience trials, like many things in the Christian walk, is much easier said than done. And oftentimes our response to difficult circumstances is not what we would hope we would have as a maturing Christian. And oftentimes we even fail miserably. And I want to encourage you here because as I mentioned, this is something I struggle with myself. But if you struggle with doubt, especially when you're in those circumstances, when you're in the trenches, when things are falling apart, and I'm not talking about the type of doubt that James is going to mention in verse 5. But if you struggle with doubt, you're in good company because we are all sinners and we're all saved by grace and his grace covers even doubt as well. Look at the apostles. They literally walked with Christ and yet here we have Peter walking on water only for a moment. We have Thomas who needed that just little extra convincing, that little bit of extra proof to rid him of doubt. And every once in a while, we are going to cry out, I believe, but help my unbelief. So when we meet or fall into these trials, what are they? What do they look like What are these trials of various kinds? The Greek for trials is parasmos, which has the basic idea of testing, trying, or proving. James illustrates the idea of testing one's faith through troubles that can be caused by any kind of hardship, problem, or difficulty. And these tests are various. This Greek word indicates diverse, variegated, or many-colored, of an infinite variety. And James' point is that trials that we will encounter will come in many shapes, sizes, and degrees, 
Not that every Christian will experience every type or kind of trouble, but that believers in general are subject to troubles of every kind from every possible source. It has been said that you are either in a trial, have just come out of one, or there is one out on the horizon. And I know that there are many of you in this room and online that are experiencing trials right now. You are in the thick of it. And it's difficult and it's tough. And it's disheartening and oftentimes it can even be suffocating. And I don't want to minimize what you're going through. And I'll be honest with you, as I mentioned, I struggle with this. And that's one of the reasons why I love this verse, James 1, 2 through 4, so much. Because it's encouraging and it's incredibly challenging. So why does God allow trials? Why does he allow his children to go through difficult times, through various trials? And James tells us in verse 3, that is because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. James's second point, and you know, the word you know illustrates the idea of complete understanding. Something that is beyond trivial and something that can be trusted. As Christians, we know with certainty from God's word, as well as many instances from our own experience. And I want to clarify here that God's word always trumps experience. But we know from experience that the testing of our faith does produce endurance. The promise is abundantly evident to those who have endured afflictions, suffering, and testing. And many of you can testify to the growth that has been evident in your lives because of trials. Not only do we emerge from being tested with our faith in the Lord intact, in most, if not all cases, our faith is actually bolstered. And we have a testimony of what God has done in our lives, and we are better prepared for the trial that is coming next. So you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And I love the word that James uses here for testing. It's dokimion in the Greek, if you're interested, but it was often used in reference to metallurgy or the study of metals and how metals are derived. Testing, while it is not the same word, relates to trials as it carries the basic idea of assessing something in order to prove and determine its genuineness or validity. And it also alludes to the process by which precious metals were refined. They would be tested or smelted by putting them through extreme heat in order to remove impurities. The metal worker would heat the metal to a certain temperature so that the impurities would float to the top where they could be then scraped off and discarded. And they would do this over and over and over again until the metal was so pure that they could actually see their reflection. So James is drawing a word picture here. And it's the idea that we see of a refiner's fire. God is testing us in order to remove the impurities, to refine us as we continually go through the fire and the heat as we become more and more like his son. And testing, it also provides us insight and can be the best gauge of a person's spiritual condition. It allows us an opportunity to evaluate our faith and our maturity. And we know that faith is always tested. Since Genesis 2, when God asked the question, do you trust me? God tested Abraham in order to increase his faith. We've been studying Moses and his tests of faith for the last year. 
the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11. And it goes on and on and on. And it is no different with us. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The knowledge to know that you have a saving faith is the most valuable commodity that we have. And we should know. We should be certain that it's authentic. That is why James calls trials an opportunity to evaluate and test our faith, to carefully examine and determine its genuineness. And Paul calls us to do the same in 2 Corinthians 13.5. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves? that Jesus Christ is in in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. We shouldn't be judging our faith or our spirituality based on our church attendance, by our participation in ministry, by how much we tithe, by the fact we haven't murdered anyone. We can, however, judge our spirituality by evaluating or testing our response to trials. Because we know, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When we are tested, are we joy-filled? Are we thankful? Are we spirit-filled? Or do we argue, grumble, complain, and blame? As I mentioned before, this is a personal struggle. And when we have unmet expectations, or when things don't go the way that we planned, it's challenging, if not an impossible task, to look upon these difficult circumstances and disappointments with joy and thanksgiving. And it is impossible in our own strength. But we can live a life of thankfulness through the power of the Holy Spirit and by allowing the gospel to dwell in us richly, to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day and know that the truths of God are real. And if we're not marked by thanksgiving, if we do not count it all as joy, and know that, the God, that God is working these circumstances out for our good and for his glory in the little things, the minor inconveniences or irritabilities. How will we be prepared when tragedy hits? When persecution comes? When everyone else in the room is looking around for the person who isn't falling apart. For the person who has hope and truth to offer. We should be testing ourselves. We should be frequently asking, how do I respond to trials? Am I prepared? So we are to, one, count it all joy. We are to, two, know that the testing of our faith is beneficial and it produces something. What is that something? What is the product or the consequence of this testing? You guys can say it. Steadfastness. The third point James makes is that we are to let, we are called to let steadfastness take its full effect. We are called to have a surrendered will in all circumstances as God cannot build our character and do his perfect and complete work in and through us 
without our willing submissiveness. Even Jesus, as I mentioned earlier, who counted the cross as the joy set before him. But we know that while he was in the garden, he agonized of the trial that was coming. He agonized to the point of sweating blood. And he asked if there's any way to take this cup from me. But ultimately, not my will, but yours be done. Christ is the ultimate example of willing submissiveness. And we have to believe. We have to know that our Heavenly Father uses trials not to harm us, but to accomplish His perfect will and to strengthen and perfect us so that we may continually rejoice in Him. James encourages us that patiently enduring trials while trusting in the Lord develops endurance, and that's a character quality which is lasting. The word steadfast, the word endurance, it has a permanent inner quality of strength, which increases each time that a trial is patiently and trustingly endured. By putting us through the trials, God will faithfully continue to sanctify us. And Paul echoes this idea in Romans 5, 2 through 5. If you have your Bibles open, please turn to Romans 5, chapter 2. I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 2. Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So for those of us who are in Christ, there's an encouragement here. And we know that experiencing trials is a pathway to Christian maturity, and that is part of our sanctification process. And we all know in anything that you have to put in the work. You have to practice. You have to struggle. You have to go through some difficult stuff in order to grow. This is true in education, as an athlete, at work, as a parent, in our marriage. We mature physically, intellectually, and as a person by stumbling falling and failing and spiritual maturity is no different so as we encounter trials we can say that we know he is maturing us he's shaping us he's forming us more and more into the image of his son and we are praying more in the trial we are trusting him more in the trial we are clinging to him more and isn't that a good place knowing that he is with us and that he is providing us everything that we need to effectively navigate the trial in thankfulness and joy. We are clinging to Christ so that we can truly say, as Paul does in Philippians 3, 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith 
that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So not only does trials allow God to form us into believers who more closely resemble his son, the trials help us become consciously consciously aware of our need for him. When everything is good and all is well and everything's going great, not often, not always, but often, we have the tendency to take our focus and our eyes off of Christ. And our need for him seems diminished. And much like the responses of Israel and Pharaoh last week, as Nathan mentioned, when we face hard circumstances, our temptation is to see that circumstance or situation from an earthly perspective instead of a godly one. Israel responded in fear instead of trust and joy. And we as believers are to let steadfastness have its full effect, to have a surrendered will, and to allow God to mold us into the person we have called to be. Do you notice that theme coming up over and over again? God is molding us. We have to hear that. We have to be reminded of that. One other thing to consider. Does God allow us to go through trials exclusively for our benefit and for our sanctification? No, he doesn't. Because others are watching. Your children are watching. People at work are watching. And we have to encourage one another and be an example of hope to those who have no hope in Christ. As I look out into this room, I see I see so many of you who've done this. see some of you who have battled cancer multiple times and have lost loved ones. And there's some of you who are fervently praying for wayward children. For many of you who have lost decades-long careers in order to take a stand. It's hard. All of those things are hard. But we can trust in the promise of the Lord. And we can be encouraged that others are watching and being encouraged by your attitude of joy and by your steadfastness. So please keep it up. You are not walking this alone. Others are watching and others are being encouraged. You have no idea what a blessing you are to this body. So going back to our three main points, how can we give thanks in the midst of trials? By trusting God, by trusting his promises, and by following the command issued by James to count it all joy, despite the circumstances, to know that there is a purpose in the trial and that God fulfills those purposes as we trust him and to let him perfect and complete us by surrendering our will to his. So there's one final encouragement before we dismiss. And this is a truth that we can rest in as James is going to point out a little bit later in verse 12. He says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised 
to those who love him. Please pray with me. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your truth. Lord, we thank you for these promises that you have made us, Lord. These promises that you are faithful to fulfill. Lord, we're thankful for even the faith that you give us to believe this, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would take some time today to evaluate where we are in light of our maturity, Lord, in light of the way that we handle trials. Father, we know that they are ugly and they are difficult, and sometimes they are in the midst of them, Lord. It is impossible to count anything as joy, Lord. But we know that the truth in your word that we've gone over today encourages us. And Lord, we know that on the other side of whatever we're going through, Lord, we are going to emerge as someone who is stronger and is more in your likeness. And Father, we just, Lord, as we approach this Thanksgiving week, Lord, and Thanks, Lord, and that even in some of our circumstances that have changed drastically, Lord, we just, we can rest in you, Lord, and we, we lift up those, Lord, that have lost loved ones, Lord, the, that the seating arrangement around the table, Lord, for Thanksgiving dinner is going to be different. And we pray that, Lord, for those who have suffered a loss, or, Lord, those who have family circumstances that have changed, Lord, that that you would just cover over them with your peace, with, with the peace that passes all understanding, Lord. Lord, and for those who, who have lost their jobs, Lord, that are wondering what to do next, Lord, that are seeking your will, that are are being obedient to, to their convictions, Lord. I just pray that you would give them an additional dose of grace as well, Lord, that you would you would give them a peace to know that their finances are going to be okay, Lord, that, that, that you're going to work all of these things out, Lord. And in the midst of it, it is hard to believe that, Lord, but we trust in you and we trust in that truth. Lord, we want to give you our thanks. Lord, for the the sacrifice you made for for your children on the cross, Lord, for enduring that for us, Lord, for covering over our sin, for not only covering over our sin, but for giving us your righteousness, that when you look at us, Lord, you see your son, and that we get to spend eternity with you, Lord. Let us rest in the joy of that. We love you. We thank you so much. And we ask all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus.